0: Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15. And Paul writes to the Ephesians, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Part of the reasons why I love this passage uh, is because it just provides incredible insight into the believer's life. Um, this these, these few words that Paul had written to these Ephesian Christians was so applicable to them at that time, yet it remains just unbelievably relevant for you and I today. Uh, mostly because all of us, we're people who tend to stray off the path from time to time. We're people with flaws. We're people with shortcomings. We're people who mess up. We, we get discouraged and depressed. And that's just the reality of our lives at times. And because of that, we, we're people who need constant encouragement, encouragement and exhortation. And that's exactly what Paul is giving to these Ephesian Christians here. Uh, but before we really dig into it, I wanted to just ask you a question. And even as you just sit there uh, right where you are, just try to clear your minds for, for a second and just think uh, think of a time, a moment in your life when someone said something to you that just made a real difference in your day. Or maybe uh, maybe there was a time in your life when you were discouraged and you just needed encouragement and someone came right along at the right time and just spoke a word to you or said something to you or did something that made a real difference. Um, I'm sure even as, even as I ask you that question, examples are just coming up because uh, we've all had those moments. Uh, as I was answering that question for myself, the first thing I thought of was my first date with my wife. Um, and to give you a little background, uh, she and I had been friends for a while. And I was basically a huge chicken and afraid to ask her out. Uh, so it was just eating at me at a while, for a while, and after a few, actually it was a few months, which is kind of sad, but uh, it was just eating at me, and I was sitting at work, and I was just like, you know what, I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to write her an email and ask her out, which I understand now is probably the lamest way you could ask someone out on a date, but that's what I went with. I was feeling, the, feeling it right then, so I just, just sent that email out. So she replied, and she, she said yes, and I was just super excited, uh, so I sent an email out to my friend. Uh, with the, in the subject line, "hot date" with about fourteen exclamation points, and I was just like, "She said yes. Uh, we got to think of something awesome to do. Like I, I really want to impress her. This is going to be great." Except I, instead of sending it to my friend, I sent it sent it to Krista again, <laughs> and she, of course, wrote back thinking I was asking her about advice about taking a different girl out on a date. So we eventually got that all worked out and uh, i went home later on that night and um some some i was living with some friends and my roommates and i and some of our other friends were over and there was just a brainstorming session i was like guys this has got to be the best like let's do this we gotta we gotta knock out some ideas here and after a few hours of just tossing around date ideas just nothing i mean nothing was good uh, and then a friend of mine said, you know what, I know this place. There's, it's a great playhouse. It's a great spot for a date. You guys are going to love it. There's a really expensive restaurant around the corner. Uh, it's going to be fun. You got, It's something different. I was like, all right, we got nothing better, so we'll go with that. Um, so I work out all the details with that. I buy the tickets. I make the reservations. I pick her up, and we're at the restaurant. And the first thing I notice is she's eating her food with kind of a weird look on her face. And I, I started eating mine, I was like, man, this food kinda tastes weird. And it was supposedly a really nice restaurant. So we eventually finish our meal. We go to this playhouse, which my friend had told me was a really top notch place. And we walk in and essentially it was a senior center <laughs> with with a floor like this and folding chairs and we walk in there and my face just bright red. I mean, just totally embarrassed. And I could not believe that this girl I wanted to impress so badly that I was taking her to this place. And uh, I'm pretty sure we're the only ones under the age of 85 that made it there that night for that performance. In fact, when we first walked in, they announced something that there were going to be some loud noises during the play. If you have a pacemaker, you might want to make, make the proper uh, adjustments. Uh, so we get to, like, uh, intermission of the play, and I'm just like, this is the worst. You want to get going? She's like, yeah, yeah, let's go. So, we go over to Starbucks, and we're at starbucks and and we're having coffee and chatting and um and she just kind of like gets kind of white and green, and she runs off to the bathroom and is just barfing her brains out in there, and oh man, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I took her to a restaurant, she got food poisoning first, I sent her that email. Then I, I took her to this restaurant, she got food poisoning, I took her to this horrible senior center for a play, and now she's throwing up in the bathroom. This is probably the worst date of all time. So I, I dropped her off at home, and I'm just sitting in my car, just super, just flabbergasted at what happened. I had such high high expectations, such, such lofty dreams for this date that I was going to sweep her off her feet, and it just did not go that way at all. Uh, and on my way back from from this date i was driving back to my apartment and i called my sister and after telling her all that happened she laughed for a couple minutes but then she composed herself and um, she said well in spite of all that did you have a good time i was like yeah you know what i i had a great time and she said well in spite of all that do you think krista had a good time and i was like you know what i think she had a good time and she said a few other encouraging words and and it really just changed everything for me on that car ride. I mean, just a word of encouragement made all the difference in my day. Um, More recently, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm a second-year student in grad school. I took a year off in between my first year and this year. So when I first got back into it this semester, I was super overwhelmed. And maybe the third week of class and just work is piling on, and, I, and I'm going to this class where I have to give a presentation, and I go to my mailbox, I bring my mail up, and I'm just sitting outside the class, just one of those moments where life is just piling on, and I just don't know what to do. And I start flipping through my mail, and all of a sudden I see, uh, I see a card from someone I used to go to work with, this uh, woman Lorraine, Lorraine Scott, and she's just one of those ladies who prays and prays and prays and prays and encourages and encourages and encourages. And I pull out this card, and... I've gone to this card probably every other day since the semester started. But all it says is, Kristen Ryan, you are where God wants you and so he will see you through. Love, Lorraine. And man, this card has made a difference in my life. Um, and that's what's going on here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Paul is giving these Ephesian Christians a word of encouragement. Um, he says, for this reason, in verse 15, ever since I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers man what what an amazing thing Paul's just saying like you know what guys I've heard about your faith in God I've heard that you are loving him and loving each other and I just want you to know I'm thankful for you and not only am I thankful but I have not stopped praying for you since I've heard this news and man, what an encouragement, uh, an encouragement. What, what, what an unbelievable thing to hear from this spiritual leader. Um, but there's a few important things I want to just pull out of that verse. Uh, first thing is that Paul is writing to believers. Uh, we need to understand that just contextually, that Paul is writing to these this group of people who are Christians. They have faith in God. He says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. The second thing is that these believers are doing well spiritually. I mean, these are not nominal Christians. These are not Christians who come to church on Sunday and then live like who knows what the rest of the week. These are people who are faithfully serving and seeking after the Lord. And then the third thing is that the lives these people are leading is just causing Paul to rejoice. I mean, what an encouraging thing. Um, But what's really amazing about this text comes after this initial encouragement. uh, Because Paul doesn't just stop by saying, you know what, guys, like, you're doing great. I'm praying for you. Keep up the fight. Uh, which is a great thing. But he doesn't stop there. He, he tells them he's praying for them. And then he starts to reveal the contents of his prayers. He starts to show them what specifically he's praying for them about. How God will work in their lives specifically. Uh, Ephesians 1.17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, And revelation, so that you may know him better. And what's interesting is that these Ephesians were already Christians. Uh, They already knew God on some level, they had a relationship with him. Yet, Paul, in one breath, is encouraging them, and then with another breath, in the same breath, he is calling them to something greater that they may know God better. Um, And this just has unbelievable implications for you and I today. Because no matter where we are in our walk with Christ, what, no matter what our relationships with God look like, we're called to know Him better. That's what Paul wanted for these Ephesians. That's what God wants for us today, that we will know Him better. Uh, when thinking through this, I thought of this uh, this time in my life when I was really into hiking. Uh, I went up to Mount Monadnock in, uh, in New Hampshire and a bunch of buddies and I were, were hiking this mountain. And you can, you can take either two trails. You can either go kind of the roundabout. It's not very steep, but it's longer. Or you can go the really steep route that's real direct. It's a shorter route. And we're like, no, we're going we're gonna to do this. Let's go, the, let's go the steep way. And the whole time, is kind of a dreary day. And the whole time, we had our eyes fixed on this one peak. And we're going hard. We wanted to make time. And we got to this peak. And Oh man, it felt good. We were so satisfied just being there. We didn't want to go any further. Our legs were tired and we are breathing heavy and sweaty and just ready to be done. And then the fog lifts and we realize, like, oh wow, we're three quarters of the way up. The top is way up there. And uh, so it took us like probably twice the time it took us to get three quarters of the way. It probably took us twice the time to get to the next quarter, but we kept going. Um, And I feel like that's what Paul's saying here, that you know, don't be don't be uh, so so set on being where you are spiritually. Continue on, continue on. And he's giving them this exhortation, not only saying you're doing great, but continue going. Um, John Calvin said it like this in his uh, commentary on the Book of Ephesians. He said it was necessary for the Ephesians to understand that they had entered upon the proper course, but it was equally necessary that they should not become indifferent about proceeding farther. For nothing is more dangerous than to be satisfied with that measure of spiritual benefits which has already been obtained. Whatever then may be the height of our attainments, let them be accompanied by the desire of something higher. Man, I just thought he says that so well. Nothing is more dangerous than to be satisfied with that measure of spiritual benefits which has already been attained. That is a danger in our Christian walk. That you become satisfied and complacent with where God has brought you, and you don't it's not accompanied by that desire for something higher, which God is calling each of us to. Um, so Paul continues on and he says this, he wants these Christians to know him more. He wants God to reveal himself to these Ephesian Christians so that they will know God more. Uh, and he continues on and, and and really we see that part of knowing God more is understanding the blessings that we as believers have. Uh, through Christ. And we see that in the following verses. Uh, and I just want to encourage you as we study through th- three points that Paul really highlights here in the next few verses. As we study through these things, please be thinking about your relationships with God. Uh, please be thinking about him. Be meditating. Be applying these things to you. But most importantly, be praying that God will show you um, things. He'll show you where, what areas you need to grow, what areas the eyes of your heart need to be enlightened in these in these ways, uh, so here we go. Verse chapter one, verse eighteen. Paul writes, "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you." So, the first thing we're going to talk about that Paul mentions is hope, and I wanted to draw your attention to this one phrase: "the eyes of your heart," um, because a lot of times in our culture uh, in America now, we, we hear heart and we just think that. Oh, you know, the heart's the emotional center. What Paul's saying is I want you to feel all this stuff in a new way. You have to feel it. And that's part of it. But in the context that Paul was writing it, um, and in the Greek specifically, that phrase refers more to just an emotional thing. It's emotional. It's intellectual. What Paul is praying that is that God will open up these people, heart, mind, and soul, to understand the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. Uh, and that they'll through that, they'll know him more, that they'll know God more. So this hope in Christ, understanding the hope that we've received uh, in God's calling and what that hope gives us, I wanted to highlight just three things. Well, the first thing is that we hope in Christ knowing that our past will not condemn us. Uh, Ephesians 2, if you'll just take a gander across the page, chapter 2, uh, verse 12 and 13, it says, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we were all at one point strangers to Christ. We have once in our standing with Christ. We were separated by our sin. We were far from him. uh, And that's the life we had. We were sinners. Uh, Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So know that all that stuff in the past, Christ has made a difference in all that stuff. You're not being condemned by that stuff. You've been covered with the blood of Christ. And as Christians, we need to take hold of that and have hope in Him. Man, we, we need to understand. We need to pray that God will show us the magnitude of this, of what Christ did for us, where we were going, bound for hell because of the sin that we, that we commit. And Christ made a difference. He, he sacrificed himself. He shed his blood. And now we've been brought near to God. And w- that gives us hope. The second thing I wanted to talk about is that we have hope in Christ because our present is firmly in God's control. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access By faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because of what Christ did, we have access to him daily. We have access to his grace. God's grace is just there for us to access. And because of Christ, I mean, what does that that do for you on a daily basis? What hope does that give you knowing that you have access to the grace of Christ in your life? Uh, That should be a huge encouragement and that should really instill some hope in us. And then the third thing is that our future has been paid for by Christ. Uh, There's a really awesome passage in Matthew 24 where Christ talks about his second coming. And he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with, great, with power and great glory. And take note of this, verse 31, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I mean, it's an amazing thing that Christ is coming back for us. Uh, the last chapter of the Bible, uh, Revelation, uh, I believe it's chapter 22. Jesus Christ says three times, verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. That our Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon and that should give us hope in this life. So what does hope uh, practically look like um, on a day-to-day basis? How I, I know Paul's saying that uh, the eyes of our heart should be enlightened to this. Uh, but what is that, how does that really play out in our lives? And uh, if you will, turn with me to a, a, uh, the book of Lamentations. Uh, and just to give you some background on what's going on in Lamentations is, uh, this is most likely written by the prophet Jeremiah. He's often called the, the weeping prophet. Um, and Lamentations was just written as a lament. It's this, it's this mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the, the people of Israel have not, kept their covenant. They've committed horrible abominations about God, uh, against God, and he's been just overwhelmingly patient and long-suffering. And because he loves them, he allows the Babylonians to come in, to swoop in, and to take them into exile uh, to really kind of get them back onto the right path. Um, But in the meantime, Israel's totally wiped out in 586, just absolutely destroyed. Uh, in fact, parts of Lamentations say that there are women in the streets who there's such a great famine that they're eating their own own babies. And there's just these horrible things are going on. Um, so all of this is happening in Lamentations. And the prophet Jeremiah is called to uh, speak a prophetic word to the Israelites. And, and, and this is something that just hits him deeply. This man is just overwhelmed and overcome with sorrow and with grief and with heartache because of all that he's seen happen to, happen to his people. Um, just to highlight a few of those points, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Lamentations 2.11, he says, My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns, my bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughters of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. And then chapter 3, verse 15, he says, He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So this is a man who is suffering. But look in chapter 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind, in spite of all of what we just read, all of the suffering he's going through, Jeremiah remembers something. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I mean, this is a man when life circumstances could not possibly get any worse. Uh, He looks to God. He remembers who God is. And especially, he remembers the character of God. He remembers that God's mercies never come to an end, that his steadfast love never ceases, that his faithfulness is great, and that knowing God causes him to have hope, even in the worst of circumstances. Uh, And I mean, the way that applies to you and I is just huge. Uh, Because life is tough, life is overbearing, life is overwhelming. Uh, sometimes we get too busy. Sometimes uh, things are going great and we just tend to forget about the Lord for a little while. And in all of those times, we just need to continually remember the hope we have in God and therefore know Him better. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. The second thing that Paul's highlighting here, uh, verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. And here's the second one, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And that last phrase, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, I want you to pay a special attention uh, to the pronouns used there. Uh, It's the riches of his, God's glorious inheritance in God's people. What's going on here is that Paul is telling these Ephesian Christians that they are God's glorious inheritance. That God considers them to be a glorious inheritance. That God loves these people uh, in just an unbelievable, unspeakable un, uh, way. There's no way to describe the the love that God the Father has for these for these people. Um, so let's look at what that looks like uh, for you and I. Practically, um, we're going to kind of keep going back to the prophet Jeremiah here. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, um, we just read about all the destruction and all the all the desolation, all of the heartache that was happening in Jerusalem. In Jeremiah uh, 31, God comes to, to Jeremiah with a prophetic word and just kind of shows him um, his love for his people. He says, At that time, declares the Lord, verse 1, I will be the God of the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword Found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. So, even as these afflictions are going on, God was giving grace to these people. And then he says, The Lord appeared from him from far away. And here, here's where we need to pay attention. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you up, and you shall be built, O, vir- o virgin Israel that in spite of all of, that, all of that stuff that God saw fit to put these people through in order, because of his love, in order to pull them back to him, he still uh, has planned a day of restoration. He's, he's restoring these people, and it's all because he loves them. He says that, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I continue my faithfulness to you. His love is the source of the faithfulness. And that's being played out in these people's lives. And even though Jeremiah was was broken up about it, God tells him, you know what, I'm restoring these people. The nation of Israel will be built again, and I will build it because I love you and I am faithful to you. And it's just real powerful language that that, uh, the prophet Jeremiah is using there. And one thing else is clear, that these people did not deserve the faithfulness that God was showing them. Uh, But God chose to show them uh, this type of faithfulness through grace and mercy. Uh, And it's the same for you and I today. Um, So I just hope you sit here knowing and uh, really praying that God will show you, will open the minds of your heart to know how complete and how intense His love is for you. I mean, the human mind cannot begin to plumb the depths of the love that God has for His people. I tried to come up with a story or an illustration or something that would kind of relate to you how much God loves us. Um, but there's just, there's just no expression of human love and the human experience that can ever match what God feels for his people. You are precious to him. And I hope that doesn't just go in your ears. I hope that sinks into your heart and into your mind, knowing that you sit here today a person precious to God. And that should absolutely change and transform our lives, that truth. It should change the way we treat people. It should change the way we relate to our spouse or relationships. It should change the way we work It should change everything. The way we respond when things are are tough, when we're depressed. It should change everything. We should be people totally transformed by the love of Christ. So I just wanted to ask, does who you are and how you live reflect the way God loves you? Are you realizing his great love for you more and more every day? Back to Ephesians chapter 1. And here's the third thing. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Number one, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Number two. And the third one, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Uh, somewhere around the uh, age of enlightenment in Europe and in North America, um, there was a philosophy of religion that was super popular uh, called deism. Uh, in fact, a lot of... Uh, a lot of American founders were deists. Uh, ben Franklin, in his autobiography, claims to be a deist. Uh, and basically what deism taught uh, within their framework of understanding, they thought that somewhere out there was a God or a being, some supernatural being that they were willing to call God, who created everything and then just sort of left it over there and went about his business and is totally inactive in the lives of uh, his created beings. Um, they actually have a kind of a catchphrase for for what they call God. They call him the Great Clock Winder, uh, saying that all right, God's the one who built the clock and he winds it up and then he just leaves it to kind of operate and tick on its own. So that's how they saw God—totally, uh, totally uninvolved in in people's lives, totally uninvolved in creation at all. Um, and that is the exact opposite of what Paul is saying here. Um, what Paul is saying is that. The incomparably great power of God is at work in a believer's life. And I hope you understand that today, uh, that God's power is working in this world and in your life uh, for his glory. He actually goes on to say that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work in you. Uh, Verse 19, he says, That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him. At his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him on a heavenly throne is the same power working in your life here this morning. And man, if that truth does not transform us, I don't know what will. Um, so what does that power practically look like in a believer's life? Jeremiah chapter 1. Flip there if you can. Now we've kind of been going back to this guy Jeremiah and he's been through a lot. We see that he's called to this really unique ministry where he's prophesying to the people of Israel. Um, and I don't know about you, if you're anything like me, a lot of times you'll, you'll look at these Bible characters and kind of like put them on a pedestal and think that they're super Christians and kind of forget that they were also people, human beings with, with uh, the same struggles and the same uh, hang-ups and things like that that we commonly go through. Uh, and that really comes out here in Jeremiah chapter 1 where we see God's power at work in this man's life in a really amazing way. Uh, Verse 4 It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. So God is speaking directly to Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Just an amazing thing there. uh, Because Jeremiah is called to this amazing ministry. uh, And also an amazingly difficult ministry where he knows uh, what God has planned for these people, and he's warning them, he's telling them, he's, he's telling them about the restoration as well as the judgment, and he's doing all these things, speaking these words to these people. And it's all about speaking and relaying what God is telling him to these people. And the first thing Jeremiah is overwhelmed with is, I can't do this, I'm young, I'm afraid. He feels inadequate, he feels unable. And man, I don't know about you, but I relate to that. I mean, I I, I feel like I can't go through a circumstance in life without feeling inadequate or unable or questioning myself or wondering if this is possible or, Lord, can I really do this? Are you really calling me to this? But we also see that God's at work in his life and he reminds him, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And I had this planned for you before that. And then he takes he takes his hand and he touches Jeremiah's mouth, and with his power, he puts his words in Jeremiah's mouth, and he promises him not to be afraid, because that he will never leave him; he'll always be with him to deliver him. I mean, that's the type of God we serve, and that's the type of God who's acting in our lives. He's a God in the details. He's a God concerned with every little thing going on, and he's a God concerned with the overarching uh, themes in our lives. So we can look to his power because he exercises his power in our lives. Um, so as far as a little application goes, I just, I just really hope that this passage is not just something we kind of skim over. Uh, I said earlier that it's a passage that I continually have been going to uh, over and over and over again. And and to be honest with you, in my devotional life, I just keep praying, Lord, open the eyes of my heart so that I may know you better. Lord, help me to understand the hope I have in you. I know I don't understand it in my finite mind. I just don't understand it. Please show me in a new way. Lord, I don't understand how much you love me. Please keep showing me. Lord, I don't understand how your power is working in my life. Please show me, Lord. Help me to know you more. Help me to understand these things. Help me to keep climbing that mountain, Lord. And if, and if you keep praying that, if that's been your prayer, he will be faithful to you and he will reveal himself and he will, he will show himself to you in new ways. Um, so in, Ephesian, if, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul sends this message, this special message to these believers. Uh, he's encouraging them. He's letting them know uh, how great they're doing, but he also is calling them to something greater. Uh, And I really believe that each one of us today, no matter where you're at with God, no matter what your walk with Him looks like, no matter where you are spiritually, um, that you'll be praying that God will open, will enlighten the eyes of your heart to understand Him, and that He'll reveal Himself to you in new ways. Specifically, knowing the hope to which you were called, that you are God's glorious inheritance, and you are precious to Him, and He loves you. And that His power is actively at work in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we just love You so much. Lord, I do pray that You'll please give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know You better, Lord. Father, for each one here, I know that You had a specific purpose, Lord, for each one of us being here this morning. There are no mistakes here, Lord, no coincidences. And I pray that even now, this moment, as we sit, bowed down before you in prayer, that your Spirit will be speaking in our hearts, Lord. For each one of us, there's one thing that you want to tell us, Lord. Help us to listen. Open our minds and our hearts, Father. Help us to be changed by your Word this morning, God. And I pray that if there are any here this morning that don't know you, that don't currently have a relationship with you, that they'll come to you this morning, Father, that you will soften their hearts, that you will speak to them right now, Father, and draw them to yourself. Father, thank you for working in our lives. I pray that you will please uh, be faithful to us. We love you. Help us to be faithful to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.